Amen, amen. You guys doing good today? You guys got your coffee? Andy's got his coffee? Ready to go? Um, two quick uh, announcements. Uh, number one, today is Chris and Ashley's anniversary. One year, come on. We love you guys. Congratulations. Um, super, super, super excited for you guys. Uh, the second thing, this is a, a fun one. So the next two weeks, um, I'm not going to be preaching. Um, we actually have two people from our leadership that we've been training for the past couple of weeks uh, that we're empowering to preach. Uh, we'll keep it a surprise. We'll be surprised who's going to preach uh, in the next two weeks. But we're super excited for that. Uh, it's going to be awesome. All right. You guys ready to dive in? We're going we're gonna to go deep today. Uh, so just get ready. Let's start here in Genesis 2.15. Uh, who was here last Sunday? Can you keep your hands up? Who was here last Sunday? We talked about the root of bitterness. And uh, did that bless anyone? Yes? Good. Uh, so we're going to kind of build on that today. Uh, Genesis 2.15, I'm, I'm going to recap a little bit of last week to uh, just set the stage for what we're going to dive into today. Uh, but it says this, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Uh, who here would have loved to live in the Garden of Eden? And I would. Every time I read Genesis, I'm like, man, I want to live there, full communion with God, full purity, right? Unlimited fruit that I can eat except for one fruit, you know, don't touch that one. Uh, just complete joy and peace. And every time I read Genesis and I, and I read how God designed us to live. I, I just, I, I crave and hunger for that place. Does anyone else? I crave and hunger to be in that place, to be in the garden. But here's the crazy thing, is that through the resurrection, he actually restored the garden. And now with Adam, he put Adam in the garden, but with you, he put the garden in you. He didn't just place you into a location. He placed that reality inside of you. That everything that Adam lost, Jesus bought back and he made it accessible again. That communion, that purity, that wholeness, that freedom, that joy, that peace that was once lost, he's made it accessible once again. And he's done this by giving us a new nature. I don't know if you guys know this, but if you are a believer, you've been given a new nature. And what that means is that you are a new creation and your default is no longer sin, it's actually righteousness. That your default isn't actually the flesh, it's actually the things of the spirit. This is why the Holy Spirit bears fruit in us because Jesus placed the garden in us, the garden of our souls. And just like Adam, he's entrusted us to care and work, work in it, to tend to it, to cultivate it. And if you continue on this imagery, okay, I want you to stay with me, that a gardener we understand in his own power can't make anything grow. That a gardener can't create the sunlight, a gardener can't create the soil, the gardener can't create the rain or the water, only God can. However, a gardener can cultivate the soil. 
A gardener can pour the exact amount of water that it needs. A gardener can plant the seed where it can get the proper sunlight to protect what grows and to see it flourish. In the same way, you cannot grow love in your own strength. You cannot grow peace or patience or kindness or self-control or so on in your own strength. However, you can cultivate, tend, care, and protect the garden of your soul so that the fruit of the Spirit can flourish and grow. What happens is if we don't take responsibility for cultivating it, then we give permission for the flesh to grow and plant roots that cause brokenness and corruption. So last week we talked about Hebrews 12, 15, which says this, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. The way we broke this down was that bitterness starts as a seed. It starts as a seed of anger. It starts as a seed of offense. It starts as a seed of hurt. And that seed grows into a root of bitterness where a tree of bitterness that produces corrupt and harmful, or as Hebrew says, poisonous fruit. In Hebrews here, it says that this root, this tree of bitterness causes you trouble. And I, I want to break that down. It causes you fourfold trouble. It causes you emotional trouble. Bitterness causes you physical trouble. It causes you relational trouble. It causes you spiritual trouble. And lastly, it says here is that bitterness creates corrupt fruit that affect those around us. If you have a root of bitterness, you're not only harming yourself, but the people around you are going to eat of that fruit. Because guys, what is in you is gonna come out of you. That out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Man, if your heart, if the, the garden of your soul, if bitterness has been planted, and man, in this garden that God has now brought back in you, if you've allowed bitterness and things to come in that aren't supposed to come in, and it's growing and growing, and now there's this whole area of this garden that is just decaying and causing fruit that is poisonous, the people in your life are going to taste it. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, it tells us this, get rid of all bitterness. Not just some, not just the ones that we think are justified or not. Get rid of all bitterness of all rage, of anger, of harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So here's the counter to it. Verse 32, it says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There it is. I'm going to read that again. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So I shared this last week, but I want to reiterate it. How do we get rid of bitterness? How do we, how do we as Ephesians 4, how do we get rid of this root of bitterness? And to go back to uh, the gardening imagery, in the context of gardening, uh, you have to actually consider the compatibility of what you plant together. 
that you want to plant things together that have a similar water, nutrient, and space requirement. You wanna grow one plant. If you grow one plant that requires lots of water with another one that doesn't, what happens is it can lead to root rot and the death of one of the other plants because incompatible plants can't compete for more nutrients, more sunlight or space, and other requirements. So how do we get rid of a root of bitterness? You plant a root of forgiveness because the stronger plant will always kill the weaker plant. But what happens is we have more roots of bitterness growing than we do roots of forgiveness. So today we're gonna talk about the root of forgiveness. You guys ready? So at the end of Ephesians 4.32, it tells us how we do this. That we forgive one another, okay, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So if you're taking notes, number one, forgiveness starts by remembering how much you've been forgiven. Forgiveness starts by remembering how much you've been forgiven. Let's go to Luke chapter seven. And I actually want to read this whole story. But Luke 7, 36, if you have your Bibles, let's go there. Luke 7, 36. It says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. She's displaying a radical expression of adoration. And so when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. Jesus knew what he was thinking. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins are many, but they have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Guys, that you can only give what you have. I share this all the time, man. If I don't have a million dollars, I can't give you a million dollars. I can't give you what I don't have. 
So how this applies is that the extent that you understand you've been forgiven is the extent you will give forgiveness to others. Uh, you guys didn't get that. The extent that you have received forgiveness, the measure that you've received forgiveness for your shame, for your guilt, that you've applied the blood onto your life, onto your past, onto your present, onto your future, the extent you've received forgiveness for yourself is the extent you will give it to others. Now, the extent that you've barely received forgiveness for yourself is the same amount you'll give others. What's interesting about this story, Jesus says this, I tell you, her sins are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Now, you can read this passage and be like, well, you know, I haven't gone through a lot of crazy things. I don't have a lot of you know, I don't have a wild past that God has forgiven me from. Obviously, yes, I believe he's, you know, forgiven me for my sins. But people who've, you know, used to be crackheads, shout out if that's you, just kidding. Uh, people who have crazy lives, right, who've been through really hard things. It's like, yeah, of course, they can, they can love God a lot because they've been through so much. Of course, they can apply that forgiveness. But for me, you know, I haven't been through a lot. I understand he's forgiven me, but, but because I haven't been through a lot, I can't really, I don't, I don't really understand how, like that forgiveness. I can understand it to extent. So Jesus saying this, but a person who's forgiven little shows only little love, that's kind of unfair. But what if that's not what he's saying? Because here's the thing. Doesn't matter how sinful your past was, or how pure your past was, the same price was paid. Doesn't matter if, man, you just destroyed your whole life and you came to Jesus versus someone who just, man, the worst thing you did was say a bad word. The same price was paid for your sin. So the one who is forgiven little shows little love, meaning the one who understands the weight of his forgiveness little will only love little. That your ability to show love or forgiveness is tied to the revelation of how forgiven you really believe you are. That your ability to worship, I'm going to say this, your ability to, to pour love back out. Because in this story, man, it seems like this outdated story, this woman's pouring alabaster jar, Jesus' feet, and wiping her, his feet with her tears. And the Pharisees are like, what is she doing? She's a sinful woman. You know, we're like, that's a really cool story. But man, I see that every single week. What happens is, it's very easy to judge people's expressions of worship when we don't understand how worthy he is of it. It's easy to be like the Pharisees and be like, man, her, she, 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 she is not a good person. She's just faking it. It's just emotionalism. She's a broken person. You know, like whatever she's doing, she's just doing it for attention. 
Anyone been there? I've done that. I've, I've judged people before. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Yes, she is a sinful person, but her response reveals how she actually sees me. And you're too busy judging her that you missed me in the room the entire time. So if you struggle with seeing your forgiveness, if that's you, look at the body and the blood of Jesus. If you struggle with believing you are forgiven, if you struggle with believing that man, that sin I committed two years ago is unforgivable, I will, I will never be freed from the shame of that mistake. I want you to know that the blood has covered it. The blood has atoned for it. The blood can cleanse your guilty conscience. He doesn't just free you from an eternity of separation. He frees you from a present of intimacy. So number one is that forgiveness starts by remembering how much you've been forgiven. Number two is this, that forgiveness is relinquishing your right to get even. Forgiveness is relinquishing your right to get even. Romans 12, 19 says this, Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. Don't take the law into your own hands. That bitterness is holding someone's wrongs against them, whereas forgiveness is to release someone in your heart for those wrongs. And the thing is, this might sound unfair, because it is. Forgiveness isn't fair. That Jesus hanging with nails in his hands, bloody and beaten for you isn't fair. But God has a higher and more complete picture of justice than we do. The Psalm 89 says this, that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. So God doesn't bat an eye to injustice. God, God doesn't just sweep things under the rug. It says the very foundation of what holds his throne, what makes him a worthy king is that he is perfectly just and perfectly righteous. And so by relinquishing our right to get even, we're accepting that God's understanding of justice is greater than ours. And we need to understand that when we hold unforgiveness towards a person, what happens in our heart, we're putting them on trial and we're putting ourselves in the seat of judge. And we build charges against them of why we think they should be punished. But in reality, what we're doing is we're thinking we can do God's job better than him that we hold their sins against them when Jesus actually did the opposite towards you. We hold charges against them when Jesus actually relinquished those charges from you. And so when you hold on to unforgiveness, you're believing that his sacrifice is strong enough to atone for your wrongs, but not your offenders. 
And so forgiveness is choosing to let go of the offense in your heart, to relinquish your right to get even, and to submit it to God to make it right. I love this, this, this story. So it's a heart-wrenching story, but it had a, a, such a, a beautiful impact on our nation. But about eight years ago, you guys may have heard this story that uh, in Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in South Carolina, a man opened fire and murdered nine people during a Bible study and was done as an intentional act of racism. It's heart-wrenching. There were sons, there were grandmothers, there were mothers. But what was so impactful was that 48 hours after the shooting, two days after the victim loved ones were killed, they showed up in court to meet the killer face to face. It was the first time they saw the face of the person that murdered their sons and mothers and grandfathers and what transpired shocked the world. And you can actually watch this video online, but to his face, multiple people told the murderer that they forgave him. Even one shared the gospel and told him that God will forgive you if you gave your life to Jesus. Think about that. Two days. As I was researching more, I stumbled on a more recent interview of some of the the women that literally were in the room. One of them literally jumped over her granddaughter to cover her. And this woman was able to forgive him face to face. And she shared that in that courtroom when they were talking to this murderer and forgiving him, that, that she felt like it, it was like, like she was in another world because she felt God's presence so tangibly in the room. She said it felt like there was like a, a light coming into the room that wasn't there. That there's, there's something so powerful and kingdom and darkness shaking when you forgive. That the kingdom was expressed and displayed for the whole world in this moment. And guys, here's the thing. The way of Jesus is radical and it will cost you something. And we have to unlearn what the world says people deserve or don't deserve and embody what he says. Now, this doesn't mean that we bypass people's actions or we don't demand justice for criminal acts, but our inability to forgive in our heart is a direct dismissal of the cross. So number three is that forgiveness is choosing to see those who have hurt us the way God sees them. Forgiveness is choosing to see those who have hurt us the way God sees them. That Luke 23, 34, this moment Jesus is literally hanging on the cross. His followers have all dispersed besides a few. He's being mocked and spit at. He just got tortured. He's being hung on a cross for a crime. He was not guilty for at all. And in this moment, he says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Think about this. Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, 
saw past the brokenness of the very people who were crucifying him and was able to extend forgiveness. That the seed or the root of forgiveness grows when you're able to actually detach the pain and see their humanity. That forgiveness can take root when you can detach your pain, not dismiss it, not ignore it, but detach your pain from the brokenness of their humanity. And this can only happen if we can see others from God's perspective. And here's the thing, guys, is most of the time when people hurt us, they simply don't know what they're doing. And it doesn't mean we give them a pass to walk over us, but they don't know the forgiveness that they actually have access to. Because remember, you can't expect someone to give something they don't have. So if someone is responding out of bitterness towards us, it's most likely they're living in a constant place of bitterness. And so what happens when someone who is living in hurt and pain and bitterness and they respond in the fruit, the poisonous fruit, a bitterness starts to grow and we eat from the fruit of their lives. And we're like, man, that, that, that fruit, it, it makes me feel sick. It's hurting me now. Boom, and seed gets planted in you and you continue the cycle. You allow their seed of bitterness to grow a seed of bitterness in your heart, which then bears corrupt and poisonous fruit that other people eat. And they eat of that fruit and bitterness gets planted in their heart, and it continues for generations. But here's the thing. Forgiveness gives the opportunity to break the cycle. That forgiveness gives the opportunity for more forgiveness to grow in those around us. Guys, as Christians, you're called to break the cycle of sin. That when we talk about the kingdom, this isn't some ethereal thing. It's tangible. That his kingdom expands when people are sozoed, right? The word salvation means whole, healed, saved, and delivered. When someone gets forgiven, God's kingdom gets a little bigger. that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we have to gain a renewed perspective of how God sees those who have hurt us. And so when you start to see the weight of his love for those around us, it allows the soil of our heart to soften so forgiveness can take root. Here's the fourth and last one is that forgiveness is repeating the process as long as necessary. Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Lord, should I just forgive them seven times? Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. That forgiveness, just like a seed, it takes time to grow. And the goal of forgiveness isn't to just say you forgive someone and move on, but to allow the root of bitterness to get pulled up, 
to allow God's forgiveness towards yourself to be extended to those who have hurt you, to let go of your right to get even and to choose to see them the way God sees them. So just like we started, a gardener in their own strength can't grow anything. They can cultivate the resources that God has given them to see it grow and to see it flourish. So in the same way, forgiveness, you in your own power can't forgive anyone. Maybe you're walking through something right now and you're like, I just can't forgive them. You're right. You can't. <laughs> but he can. And he can plant the seed but you have to allow it to grow. I always tell people all the time, and you know, they're trying to forgive whether it's themselves. And someone literally last Sunday come up to me, man, how do, how do I forgive myself? It's someone that, that hurt you, offended you. And I want you to see this isn't just for like the large things, this is for the daily things. When someone just says something that rubs you the wrong way. The enemy wants you to allow thoughts, every thought that comes to just grow in the garden. But you're actually called to protect and guard it. So even in the, the small things, you have to apply all this. But how forgiveness works is saying, God, I see that your blood purchased forgiveness just as much for them as it did for me. And so I receive your forgiveness and I extend it to them. You can't, you can't cause anything to grow by just like wishing it grows, right? I love this quote by Louis B. Smeeds. He says this, forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We can change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. Isn't that beautiful? So I want to show this diagram. Last week we showed what happens when a root of bitterness gets planted. This is what happens when a root of forgiveness gets planted. It starts with a seed of understanding God's love, which grows into a tree of forgiveness. And here's some of the fruit that comes from forgiveness. Compassion. The ability to speak life, not death. The ability to speak life, not gossip. The ability to trust again, kindness, love, right? Positive thinking instead of pessimism. Man, too many people are pessimistic and just say, this is my personality. No, it's not. You're bitter. Connection instead of disconnection. Man, so many people are living in disconnected relationships. Forgiveness allows connection to flourish. Instead of stress, release. Instead of anxiety, peace. Freedom, 
Instead of a victim mentality, a secure identity. Instead of depression, joy. Who wants this tree to grow? There we go. Matthew 28, 23. Let's go there. You guys okay? Matthew 18, 23 to 35. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Say 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and the payments be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Let's stop here. So this, this servant's debt was so large. And it not only affected him, his, his debt affected his wife. It affected his children. This was a really, really large debt. And we see this, this phrase of 10,000 talents, and in our day and age, it doesn't really mean anything, right? Because we don't use that metric. But I want to break this down for you because it's actually really crazy. So one talent equals 15 annual incomes. One talent equals 15 years of labor. So I looked up what the annual average income of Lynchburg is, and it's $54,000 a year. So if you were to multiply that by 15 years, that would be $810,000. That's only one talent. So this man didn't own one, he didn't owe just one talent, he owed 10,000 talents, which is eight trillion, $100,000. This is a debt that he could literally never repay in his lifetime. His children still won't be able to pay it. His grandchildren still won't be able to pay it. His great-grandchildren probably still won't be able to pay it. This was a generational debt that was so large that he would have to live his entire life living in fear and stress and anxiety and working and striving just to get even, just to get right with his master again. This is how large his debt is. What Jesus is trying to show us is this is the debt every single human has. This, I want you to see this because this is just how separating sin is. What happens is people see, okay, I, I have this debt, so I have to work it. I, I, I have to work my way back into right standing. I got to pay my debt, even though Jesus died on the cross. I got to pay my debt so I can finally feel at peace with God. Let me tell you, you'll never be able to do it. 
You will never be able in your own efforts to earn your way back to God. That's the point. But Jesus, just like this master, forgave that debt. He forgave the debt that caused separation. That was so big that you literally could never repay. (laughs) And how grateful would you be to that person? How much more extravagant would your worship be to this person? How much more alive would your desire to pursue relationship with this person be if you understood just how forgiven you are? Because those who are forgiven little only love little. Story's not over. Verse 28. But that servant, the one who just got forgiven of an insurmountable debt that he would never be able to pay, he went out and he found one of his own fellow servants or one of his friends who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying the exact same thing he said to his master. Have patience with me. I will pay you but he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't forgive. He wouldn't release, relinquish his right. What he did is he threw him in prison until he paid the debt. So think about this. The very thing he got freed of that was so radically extravagant, he turned around, did the same thing to someone else. But here's where it's crazy. Can we go back to the first slide of the talents? The the eight trillion. I want you to look at that number. Eight trillion, 100 billion dollars. This was the debt that he was forgiven. Now this person was owed 100 denarii. Do you want to know how much that is? One hundred denarii is one day's wage, one hundred and forty-eight bucks. Guys, this is us. <laughs> that every believer has been freed from the debt that they could never repay. Yet, the offenses against us, we demand payment. The injustice against us, we demand justice in our own view. The story continues in verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they're very grieved. I would be grieved. Would you be grieved if you saw this? They were very grieved and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt 
because you begged me, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? What does it show us? This is what happens when the revelation of forgiveness does not hit your soul. When it just becomes something you know and think about, acknowledge Jesus died on a cross, right? On a tree, forgive my sins, John 3, 16. This is what happens when the weight of your forgiveness just stays in your head and it never penetrates your heart. As we do stupid stuff like this. That unforgiveness is sin. I don't know if you guys knew that. Newsflash. Welcome to church. Brand new revelation of 2023. Unforgiveness is sin because it's the opposite of his nature. So this master says, I forgave you of all that debt because you begged me, should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Welcome to church. It's awesome. What's the point? is that how often do we lose sight of how high of a debt Jesus paid that we require others to pay for their mistakes? The thing is, guys, that Jesus doesn't take bitterness and unforgiveness lightly, and understandably so. That at the end of this parable, he is showing the severity of unforgiveness. That imagine if you were wronged by all of humanity and you still chose to sacrifice yourself for them and the very people who have been given grace and mercy dismiss the sacrifice, dismiss the gift, dismiss it every time they withhold forgiveness from others. So in verse 33 to 35, at its core, at its core, it shows us that our inability to forgive actually harms us. It actually keeps us in a cycle, and in a sense, we're torturing ourselves. The unforgiveness simply prolongs healing. This is not a cycle he wants you to live in. That Lewis B. Smeads, he says this as well. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that prisoner was you. You guys got the point? Okay. The worship team come up.